but there's a lot of things we think God's word, or we, we kind of attribute to God's word, but God never really said that. And um, this, is a, this is a big one right here because it seems like life gets tough and life gets tragic and um, the walls start like closing in on us and some tragedy happens. Um, like, you know, and we've all been there or we're going to be there. Like, you know, the doctor gives that report that you didn't expect. And it just, it just gets you right here. Um, a relationship you're in just blows up, and you don't even understand why or how you're going to fix it. Um, you think you're starting to get stuff caught up, and all of a sudden you get laid off from your job. Um, you're sinking in some pit of depression. And some well-meaning Christian comes along and says, Hey, hey, don't worry. You know, you got this cheesy, goofy smile on. Don't worry. God will never give you more than you can handle. And right then you want to give them a punch right in the nose that they can't handle, don't you? Or, or like you feel like, like, like life's about to crush you, that, that, that all the doors have just slammed in your face and, and somebody will come up and they'll say, well, don't worry, don't worry. You know, God closes a door, he opens a window, right? Like she said. What does that even mean anyway? I mean, a window? I don't want to go through a window. I mean, what if we're on like the 10th floor? That doesn't sound so good all of a sudden, does it? Oh, man. So there's, there's a lot of times in, that, that people will say that. But we all know that we're going to go through storms in life, don't we? Remember, we used to have an old preacher out here say that uh, this old saying about during our time on earth, storms are going to come and storms are going to go. Said, you're either in a storm today. Amen. Or else you just come through a storm, or you're about to go through a storm. Can I get a witness on that? And that sounds like, well, I'm really encouraged now. How about that? Uh, But think about it. But think about it. It sounds about right, doesn't it? If you've lived very long, life can get very... Some storms we see coming. Some storms we see brewing. Uh, But all of it, you know, there'll be times that some storms just like come on you before you know it. I mean, where did that come from? It's like there's some clouds, you hear a little bit of rumbling, and you know, you're out doing stuff, and all of a sudden, wham, lightning strikes right there close, and just, you know, scares something out of you, okay? But uh, and, and you just didn't expect that. Sometimes life hits you that way without warning. Warning. Sometimes it just kind of piles up, you know? Life just kind of piles up on top of us. We feel, you ever feel this way, anybody? You feel completely overwhelmed Anybody feel that way today? You know, you don't have to say anything. You're just too overwhelmed to lift your hand maybe. But, but life does that, doesn't it? Just like, I can't handle this. You don't know what to do. Well, you know, been there. You know, everybody, and if you've been there, maybe you're there, or these times are going to come. And you say, and I can remember a specific time in our life that I prayed, God, did you not say? Did you not say? And God's okay if you want to argue with him, but he always wins every argument, I'll just tell you that. But it's like, you know, did you not say that you won't allow, you won't put more on us than we can handle? I mean, we, we kind of pulled up roots and, 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 and moved here, and we had lived here a couple of years, and there's something happened that really like, I, I prayed that prayer, Lord, you surely not. I mean, you know, we'd been here a couple of years, and we had... Um, um, trying to get things on track in our lives, but we, we left more Oklahoma and moved here. Uh, Clarissa quit a very good job. I resigned the church I was at, and we came to Hartville. <laughs> and I looked back and said, how did we do that? But what, had, what, what, what the deal was there is that we had just had twins. And Clarissa had prayed for patience, I don't know why, and we had twins. <laughs> anyway, that was the result of that. 
tough crowd today, isn't it? Huh? Anyway, uh, so we had twins. And besides the fact that she had laid in a hospital for a whole month in a very expensive hospital, trying not to lose them, and then finally they were born, and then um, Seth and Shanda, we didn't know if they were going to make it. They stayed in intensive care for a good while, and then we finally got everybody home. We finally got things, you know, kind of, you know, there was no getting back to normal. It was a new normal, you know. Two hours of sleep was like all you could hope for at any given time and things like that. But can you say hospital bills? (laughs) Yeah, a lot of them. We were, but, but then we pulled up a few months after we got them home from the hospital. Just a few months later, what, three or four months later, we pulled up and moved to Hartville. And we couldn't even find a place we thought. Remember, Daryl, we thought we had a place to rent, and then it kind of fell through. We ended up about 15 miles out in the boonies, out in the country, and things like that. Man, we're trying to get adjusted, trying to make things work. And, uh, and then finally, we were able to move into town after about a year. And we're trying to get things smoothed out. And Chris is working just a little bit. I'm substitute teaching. Things are going pretty well at the church. And we're trying to get in the groove here. We're trying to get where we can make ends meet. And, and we wouldn't, you know... we. We just try and, uh, and then we find out we're pregnant. And I don't know what we would do without Gillian, you know, but at the time, it's like, no! I mean, Lord, don't you know what's going on? We, we had, I had a little red, remember that little red Ford Ranger I had back then? Two people could ride in it. And we had, uh, we had uh, like a 1988 Ford Tempo. A uh, little black, and, and we had three car seats in the back. And with us, Lord God, don't you see? We don't even have room to bring one home from the hospital. It's full. There's no way. We don't have insurance. We have insurance to cover this. And, and we, we can't even make it right now. Lord, how could you let this happen? And Lord's like, now wait a minute. And anyway, but... but but I, I can remember actually praying this and to see how that we didn't realize we were so poor we could actually get some assistance and things. And, uh, and, and then it was like, what, just a month or two before Gillian was born, we were able to trade that vehicle and get a minivan. And we did have, and, and I realized at the time that I was praying it, I realized at that time that it's kind of like, you know, I am, I am fretting. I know, I know, and Lord, I confess this. I know I'm fretting over things that... Um, you already have worked out. You already know the answer. I can't see the answer. You see the answer. You're not panicking at all, okay? But you're not going to tell me ahead of time. You're going to let me walk through time and learn to trust you and see how you bring it together. So he's already on the other side looking back. But from where I'm standing, I can't see any of it. And now we can't imagine life have been any other way, right? Right, But I actually prayed that that time. Lord, didn't you promise? So that's a very, I think, popular belief, wouldn't you say? I think it's a very popular misquotation and a misunderstanding of the verse that I have up there. Let's look at it. And once again, this being kind of a topical series, there are going to be quite a few verses we look at. And so you'll want to write them down or else you'll forget them. And then you go out of here and you didn't learn a single thing. And God said, you're going to need this this week. And I gave you a chance. And now you're going to be overwhelmed. And you're going to call and bug the preacher. And you could have avoided that because if you listen on Sunday, you've been ready for this. 
Now, if you have something, you need to call, okay? I understand that. But what I'm saying is, is that a lot of times, how many times we'll preach about something, and then someone will come up, and I have to say something to somebody that, you know, hey, we just shared some scripture on that Sunday, but maybe you didn't listen, or maybe you weren't there. Anyway, here's what it says, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temp- you can probably quote it with me, right? No temptation has taken, overtaken you, except such as is common to man, like any human being would have. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you were able, but with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. And what we need to understand is that in this verse, he's talking about temptations. He is not going to let the enemy come at you with some supernatural, satanic temptation that no human being could endure. He's not going to let that happen. And But you need to know that no matter how you're being tempted, your temptations are no different than any human that's ever lived hasn't had to deal with, right? And so you need to know that you're not that special. And God also provides an exit. He's got an exit sign. He's got an escape route for you that you can escape this if you're paying attention and if you're watching, okay? And so that's basically what he's saying there, that you don't have to cave in to temptation, whatever it is in whatever category. God is not going to let, even see that with Job, don't you? That he had to get permission before he could afflict, uh, Satan had to get permission before he could afflict Job, right? You remember that? And so Warren Wiersbe says that uh, God has promised that when Satan's coming at us, that God is always going to keep his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He's not going to let it go too long or get too hot, okay? So he's promised that when it comes to temptation. But what we're talking about here are burdens and trials of life. Are you with me? Okay, stay with me. Peter even mentions in, in this passage in 2 Peter, how that God had delivered Noah from a wicked generation, right? You know the story. And that how that God also delivered Lot from a very wicked city. And then he says this uh, in uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, the Lord knows how to deliver. Can you say amen? The Lord, Lord, deliver me. Amen? The Lord knows how to deliver the godly. There is a qualifier there. Those who want to be godly, okay? And, and those who have a relationship with the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. God knows how to do that. He knows how to deliver you. But often when it comes to the trials and burdens of life, we realize that life sometimes throws, and God sometimes allows life to throw at us more stuff than we are equipped to handle. Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. But compared to the burdens and trials of life, I realize that I have a problem, that my resources and wisdom and abilities are not enough. Hmm? You guys look like you've got it all together today. I mean, I'm, I'm just like, yeah, watch it. You may be asking for it. Because the Lord sometimes does us, and we're going to see a favor by letting things just get there so that we're calling out to him. But I realize that my resources, my wisdom, my abilities, my power, my strength are not enough to handle this. Okay? I realize that. Uh, in fact, all through the Bible, I begin to see God doing something. Have you ever noticed this? God deliberately uh, exposes this fact that's up there right now to those whom he later used greatly. 
And what results when we see that and we respond by faith is something called, are you watching this? Brokenness. That we become broken before God, humble before God, and we turn to Him by faith. And instead of relying on our own resources, instead of relying on our own wisdom, instead of relying on our own abilities, that we begin to trust Him. That He can do what we can't do. And so I realize this about me, okay? I am very finite, okay? My resources and my ability, my wisdom, everything that I have, my knowledge, strength, are limited. God is not limited in anything. And so why would somebody who is so limited try to do something that, that he can't do when I've got a God that I'm trusting who is unlimited? He is infinite in everything. So that's one thing that we're reminded here, and that's what God tries to tell his people, that he wants them to come to him by faith, rely on his power instead of their own. Gideon. And you go back and look at the story of Gideon. So here's another verse, get ready for it, in Gideon. Gideon, when God called him, here's what he cries out. He's like, and we would think of Gideon as being this great guy, you know. Boy, Gideon might, he, later on he's, he's, he's uh, noted as being a man of faith, right? Trusted God. But Gideon, we think, man, great warrior. Man, took on, Gideon was a wimp, y'all. I mean, he really was. Because as soon as the Lord you know, singles him out. Here's his answer to the Lord in Judges chapter 6, verse 15. He says, so he said to him, Oh, my Lord. It's probably more like, Oh, my Lord. How can I save Israel? Okay, God, you've asked me to do something that what? I can't do. Well, now, wait a minute. Nobody was there to say, Gideon, God will never put more on you than you can handle. I'm telling you by himself, Gideon couldn't have done it. All Gideon could do was make excuses and try to make bargains with God. So his answer was, how can I do it? Indeed, my clan, my family, like is the weakest in our whole tribe. And, and, and then me, I'm like the scrawniest runt, biggest wimp in my family. That's what he says there. When he says, I'm the least in my father's house, I'm like the most insignificant wimp that we have. Me? Uh, I, I, I see in the Bible that God always likes to take the most unlikely people to do the most incredible things. Because when it's done, there's no doubt who did it and who gets the glory, right? So guess what? There's hope for us. Okay, there's hope for me, maybe. I should say that. So Gideon was inadequate. He says, I know I can't do it. You know, and then even later on when it's time to go to battle, he keeps wanting to, God, you got to give me some help. He kept needing encouragement and kept trying to make bargains with God about the fleece and everything. He should have trusted God without having to do that. But isn't it amazing that God went the extra mile to show him, yes, 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 Gideon, I'm telling you, I'm going to do this. He's had to do that to me a lot. Okay. Not only Gideon, but then Moses even. You come all the way down to Moses, and man, Moses was the same way. He was overwhelmed. God called him out. He said, I can't do this. And he says a lot of things, but I'm just going to throw this up there. In Exodus 3.11, Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Who am I that I should bring? I, and basically he's saying, who am I? I'm not the guy that can do I can't do this. This is more than I can handle, Right? 
He said, in fact, he said, and Lord, you know, I can't even go talk to him. You know, I've got this speech impediment. There's no way I'm going to be able to do this. And the Lord says, who made man's mouth? I don't know that he said it quite like that, but, you know, and that's when Moses was standing around, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do this? And all, you know, all of I got is this stick. And he says, all right, we'll start with that, right, River? And let's just, you just throw that stick down and see what happens. So Moses, same thing. And, and boy, another neat story as we run through the Old Testament was Esther. Esther, you know, if you haven't read that in a while, go back and read it. It's an incredible story how that the king had been persuaded to kill all the Jews, which he didn't realize that Queen Esther, one of his queens, was, was uh, a Jew. And um, so she's going to go present herself to the king. And in those days, even though you're queen, you don't just go walk in on the king or he could say, you know, you're terminated like that. Uh, that's how the king divorced his queens in those days and so it was against the law but she's going to do this thing she's going to approach the king and so she's so afraid and so upset this is more than I can do in fact I don't know what the answer is going to be she didn't get she didn't she hadn't read the book of Esther okay right are you with me you know the end of the story you got to remember she didn't so here's what she did in verse 16 of Esther 4 she said this go gather all the Jews who are present in Shushan and fast for me neither eat nor drink for three days night or day so it's a total fast no food, no water, three days and nights. She says, my maids and I will fast likewise, and so I will go to the king, which is against the law. And, and, and it's like, Lord, give me a sign. Show me whether it's going. No, she didn't get it. She just says, I've made up my mind to trust him now. If I perish, I perish. If I die, I die. I'm, I'm just like a walking dead woman right now because that may be what happens, and if it does, there's, there's nothing else I could do. And so she didn't know ahead of time and so she's having everybody pray for me, pray for me, because I can't do this thing. Um, it's just very powerful, very powerful. David, man, David even got down to where, if you ever feel like not just life itself, but how about your own self? How about your own sins and iniquities? How about I get a look at myself, and I get a conviction, and I'm just like, Lord, how could you ever love me? Lord, how could I ever do anything for you? Lord, how, all this, right? You ever feel that way? I'm getting tons of blank looks today. Come on, loosen up, everybody. Come on. I guess I'm the only one. You know how awkward this makes me feel? I'm talking about sometimes just looking at your own life and feeling overwhelmed by just how, how far I know that I am from where God really wants me. I feel overwhelmed by that at times. And so I've just told you that, right? And, um, and, and I guess maybe no one else feels that way, but David did. So I can always go to the Word of God and find some encouragement, amen? I can. Psalm 38, 4, David says, For my iniquities have gone over my head. I feel like I'm drowning when I think about, about how many times, Lord, I've failed you. He says, like a heavy burden, they are, too, they are what? They are what? Too heavy for me. Basically saying, it's too much for me, these burdens that I have. And so David's right there with you saying, amen, I can give you a witness on that. But I'm going to give you one more before we move on. And that is Jesus himself. That when Jesus, you know what? When he came in the flesh, the Bible says that he was in Hebrews chapter 4, he was tempted, he was tested, he was everything, everything, all the gamut of temptation, testing, burdens, trials, in every point in verse 15 in Hebrews 4, just like we are, yet without sin. So we have a God who not only knows everything, but we have a God who can say, I know how you feel, Okay? I know how you feel because he's actually been here in the flesh and he's felt this thing. And he says over and over that he didn't come to do his own will. He came to do the Father's will, right? Is that right? 
Okay? And also, we realize as we study the life of Christ that while he was here, Father, Son, Holy Spirit never act independently of each other. While he was here, he voluntarily humbled himself, lowered himself. He did not rely on his own power as God to defeat the devil. Do you realize what he used? You look through there, you see he used the same two tools that he gives us, the Word of God and the Spirit of God. Everything that he did, okay? So that's what he did. But in his humanity, he begins to cry out. We get to the garden, and Jesus, he begins to feel overwhelmed. Did you know that? In fact, listen to this. This is our Savior. This is the one who died for us. It says in Mark 14, 32, they came to the place which was named Gethsemane. And he, that's Jesus, said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be what? Troubled and deeply distressed. You ever get deeply troubled and deeply distressed? Huh? Jesus knows what that feels like. And then as, as, as it goes on, it says, and then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Listen to this. And, and it tells us in the Bible that he was under such anguish that in, in such such agony there in prayer that blood began to capillaries of his skin began to rupture and blood began to ooze out with the sweat out of his pores his sweat became as great drops of blood this is jesus and it says my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death as i'm a and i think the devil would have liked to killed him in the garden i'm about to die he says that's bad isn't it this is about to kill me So he understands. So why would God give you more than you can handle? Are you ready? I'm not going on until y'all are ready. Okay? Here we go. Why would God give us more than we can handle? To teach us to depend on his presence. Because sometimes there's no other way we're going to learn it. So when things start going really well for me, that I, I tend to just kind of forget a little bit about God. Once again, that's very awkward. I must be the only one that ever does that. It's not that I deny him. It's not that I turn my back on him. I'm just busy doing my stuff, and I just don't maybe think about him as much as I should. Huh? When things are going really well. I know he's there. I just don't feel like I need him as much as I do at other times, right? But when things start going downhill really fast and things are like don't imploding on me, I'm like, Lord, God, help me. Lord, help me. Lord, and you know, and all that. And you just begin to think about everything. And you know, the Lord knows. And, and, and it's so good having mom and dad here. And they know that one of the things that I always, I never really responded real well to reason or common sense or even rules that were stated. The thing that I responded to the best was pain right and so if pain got my attention that was that was with me uh you know i'm sure russ and mitch my older brother they didn't require as much of that as i did but that was what got the message to my brain and but i can even now even now when i start to get sick you know you start to get sick and all of a sudden you know things are going pretty good you get that sudden sickness that sudden storm that comes on and all of a sudden like one time we were in a real crowded place and i'd be i had that nausea and i was like oh lord i haven't thrown up in like 10 years and it's like oh no and you get you, you you know what I'm talking about, that feeling, and it just feels like everything's going to come apart, right? And you just feel that inside, and then all of a sudden you break out in a sweat, and you, your mouth starts to water. You know, your mouth is like really watering really bad, and then, and then, and then Krista looked over me. You saw it, didn't you? And it's like, I was like a cartoon character. Sweat was just dripping off of me everywhere, and I'm like, excuse me, I need to go somewhere. And thank God I made it, you know? But, but during that time, it's like, oh, I'm getting sick, I'm getting sick. Lord God, forgive me of all my sins. Lord, just heal me right now. Lord, I just, I just start trying to think of everything that I've done 
done wrong. Oh God, I'm just calling out to you right now. Just help me. I feel like I'm going to die right here in front of all these people or really embarrass myself badly. And I'm just, Lord, please. And I just start trying to think of every sin I could think of to confess right then. You ever done that? I just try to bargain with God. Lord, if you had let this not happen, this would just be like, I'll just, you know, whatever, right? So when pain comes or when times of toughness come, but we begin to really cry out to God and really seek God. Uh, and, and, and it's times like, you know, in life when, you know, relationships begin to fall apart, marriages go through stress and trials, or there's a sudden tragedy. And we've lived through those together too, haven't we? There's a sudden tragedy or a loss of a job or the doctor tells you news that you can't even believe. Um, there's things like that. And those things have a way of purifying. Everything's just clicking along good in life. We just can't get on cruise control, don't we? All of a sudden, God, where are you? Jonah had to learn this lesson. Jonah's always been a good story for me to relate to. I mean, I remember as a kid, I'm so thankful that mom and dad, you forced me to go to Sunday school. And, and, and <laughs> thank you. Uh, and, and all the flannel graphs and stuff like that, you know. And I did learn a lot from them, you know, even though those were simple tools. And I'm sure way back then we had people like, we don't need that modern stuff in our church, flannel graphs. Anyway, there was, right? We did have that in our church, didn't we? It, we, we, we sure did, in our family, probably. Any, anyway, but I remember those tools. That's why we use every tool we can get our hands on here, right? To teach, right? Whether it's video, whether it's music, whether it's graphics, whether whatever it is. Because I'll promise you one thing, Satan is using every tool he can get his hands on to steal the minds and hearts of people, men and women, boys and girls, okay? Now, we can worship out in the woods under a tree with, with memorized scripture if we have to. But if we've got tools, let's use them. But I can remember, and I can remember actually sneaking into class and turning the stuff, mixing up, you know, this and that and on the flannel graph, and the teacher would get in. It's like, who did this? And I'm just like, <laughs> uh, but, but all that aside, I remember Jonah and the big fish, because it didn't say whale, but if it's that big of a fish, you know, I'm just going to not call it a whale, because any big fish, I mean, I've actually caught bass out of the Gasconade that I qualify as a whale a time or two, right? But you might not. But, uh, but anyway, Jonah, uh, he didn't want to go and preach in Nineveh. Those were their enemies. He didn't really want those people to get saved and get right with God. So what do you do? And, and in those days, Old Testament, right? Let's get our minds right here. Old Testament, he wants to get away from the temple and the presence of God and the people of God and all of that. He wants to get as far away as he can because I don't want to hear you telling me, Lord, something that I don't want to do. Sometimes it's not something that we can't handle. It's something we don't want to handle, okay? And so he gets in that boat and he gets uh, to get away. He says to flee. I like the way he says it, to flee from the presence of the Lord. Can you do that? And, but a lot of times we run from God. But God is everywhere. One of his attributes is God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You can't run from him because if we try to run from him, you just keep running into him, right? And, but Jonah, he got in the ship to flee from the presence of the Lord to go as far as he could on the map as what they had documented in that day, the other direction. And so he wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. And here's the thing. Jonah is in trouble here. He doesn't even know it. I mean, he gets away and he thinks, whoo, boy, I have, you know, after he kind of gets way on out there, okay, all right, I'm going to go to Tarsus. I don't know what I'm going to do there, but man, I'm, wow, whoo, the heat is off. And finally he's like, 
I can just relax. And man, he'd been running from the Lord for a while and been struggling with this, and I'm sure he was tired. But once he finally convinced himself of something that wasn't true, right, like we do our, to ourselves, he gets down in that boat, and he get, I mean, he's exhausted. And he's just finally relaxed his mind and think, I've done it, man, I've done it. And he falls into a deep sleep, okay? Now, God sends a storm. You know the story, right? Now, he's coming after Jonah. Okay, get this. Jonah? I mean, he seems like a bad guy. Jonah's not out there drinking. He's not smoking or chewing. He's not chasing wild women. He's not gambling. He's not stealing stuff. He's not doing any of that. All he's doing is wanting to do his own thing. Okay? That's it. And he's simply running from God's will and from his relationship with God. That's, that's basically all he's doing. And he's asleep. Now, the people sailing the ship, they probably weren't believers because when the storm came, they do all the stuff that they know to do. I mean, they're rowing and they're bailing and they're doing all this stuff. And Jonah's down there, oh, man, this is rocking me to sleep. And he does not realize, he's such a deep sleep, he doesn't realize what's going on. Finally, the storm gets bad enough that they all begin to cry out to their gods and they say, you better wake that guy up. They wake up Jonah and they said, you better start praying right now or we're going to die. That's... Fairly like more than you can handle, isn't it? And then Jonah, and they realize Jonah's, you know, fleeing from God. And it's like, you know, they're praying to their God. They're, they're like, since it must be something. And Jonah's like, well, I'm running from God. It's got to be me. And since we're all going to die anyway, right? We're all going to die anyway. Just throw me out because we're all going in. But maybe if you throw me out, I'll just die first if, if nothing else. But then otherwise, though, I'm the cause of this. He realized. He's under conviction, wasn't he? It's my fault. And you know the story how that God prepared this great old big fish to come up. And oh, just swallow Jonah. And Jonah goes on the first whale gas air-conditioned ride. He even talks about in his prayer about being down, you know, with seaweed wrapped around his head, or wrapped, wrapped, wrapped in, and, and being at the root of the mountains down, you know, pressurized submarine ride. I mean, it's amazing what happened. But whale gas, think about that for a minute. I mean, think about, think about how bad that must have been, right? I mean, whale gas. And because um, when the kids were growing up, you know, Seth was always that one that asked so many questions. He absolutely wore you out. I mean, it's just like, it's like you can't take it anymore. And somebody in the church back, back in about 1999 for Christmas gave Seth that. I don't know who did it. Who did it? Somebody, maybe somebody in our family gave Seth that Guinness's Book of World Records. And, and all the time we were going to the Nationals in Detroit and back, uh, you know, Seth was like, Dad, Dad. Do you know, did you know what the uh, longest fingernails are? Dad, dad, do you know what this is? Dad, do you know what that is? And, and so it was just like nonstop. That was the time he asked how many bridges were in Pittsburgh, right? Okay, so anyway, um, during part of this, he finds out that the world record for the largest mammal is the blue whale, right? The blue whale. And so he basically asked me, I'll put it this way, because this is just how his mind works. He says, dad, whale's a mammal. Like, kind of like people, yeah? They're a mammal. You know, because humans are mammals. Dad, whales give birth to the, yeah. Whales, like, nurse their babies, yeah. Wow. Dad, the world, the whales have gas. <laughs> and that was his question. And I'm like, um, yeah, well, I don't know, you know. I've never been out there, you know. It may be some, you know, papa whale wakes up in the morning and rips it really loud. I don't know. I said, but all I can tell you, son, is if they do, I just don't want to be there when it happens, okay? 
So think about Jonah. And then finally the whale after three days, which Jesus said was a sign that God gave about him, actually, right? He, he vomits him up on the bank. He, so God says, you're going where I'm sending you. I'm going to send you this way. And it was a tough way to go. And he vomits him out. But before that happened, it says, Jonah finally cried out to the Lord. I mean, you're inside a whale, seaweeded whale gas. All right, it doesn't look too good, right? So listen to what Jonah says in verse 2 of Jonah 2. He says, and he said, I cried out to the Lord. I cried, why, Jonah? You're running from God. You're trying to hide from God. What would cause you to finally cry out to the Lord? Because of my affliction. Huh? My distress. So it was because of his distress and his affliction that he cried out to the Lord and out of the belly of Sheol I cried and you heard my voice. I cried and you heard my voice, Lord God. And so he cried out uh, to the Lord because of what? His distress. It wasn't, listen to me, in his success, but it was in his distress that he cried out to the Lord. Isn't that the way it goes most of the time? Not in my success, but in my distress, I call out to the Lord. Because it's amazing how much we need and crave God in our distress and in our affliction than in our success. And we see even the disciples in a similar situation. You remember that? Remember, they were in a storm one night. Talk about storms coming, right? And, and the storm was more than they could handle, right? You remember it? Okay, well, I better throw it up there then so you see it. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat on the boat. So the disciples were there, and Jesus is there. But the waves are on the Sea of Galilee. The waves beat. And I understand the way Mount Hermon is and that sometimes these fronts can come down and the air, and, and then see the Sea of Galilee the, 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 is, is like, you know, uh, so low in altitude and the mountain's high and it just kind of the air expands and these storms can just whoosh come on them all of a sudden. They didn't have early warning radar or anything like that back then. And so they were totally surprised. It seemed like a great idea to go out. We didn't see a cloud in the sky. So whoosh, this storm. And then the waves are actually coming over the side of the boat and it was filling up with water. They're rowing and they're bailing as much as they can. But it says he, meaning Jesus, was in the stern asleep on a big cushion on a pillow. And it says, finally, they woke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're bailing water. It says that the boat was already filling up. The storm was more than they could handle, right? It's more than they can handle. They're going to die. They were, they, I mean, they were about sunk, literally, right? <laughs> and they don't know what to do. But the storm was not more than Jesus could handle. Amen. Whatever your storm is, it's not more than Jesus can handle. They, they actually say, do you not care that we're perishing? Literally what they're saying, the tense of that verb is, Jesus, don't you care that we right now are in the process of dying? We are, in fact, dying right now. We're perishing. That's what's actually happening. Don't you realize? We thought you knew everything. Don't you know that we are actually dying right now? I like the way that Jesus dealt with it. Jesus woke up and he said, peace, shalom. He said, quiet. Storm just gone. I mean, he didn't have to get up and do any, that. he just said, I always wondered about this. And, and I'm sorry, but in the way my mind works, dad, I always think of you. I'm glad you're here today. Because I can almost picture Jesus doing like, you know, we always had tons of critters around, didn't we? And dogs and hunting dogs and cattle dogs and everything. And sometimes the dogs all get to barking. And, and, and you remember this, Russ. Dad would step out and he would open the door and he'd go, Here! Yeah! <laughs> Anybody have a dad do that? He does it, right? 
Anybody have a dad do that? Huh? Yeah. 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 I can almost see Jesus just like doing that. Yeah. And, and, uh, and then and then dad would do that to us boys too. We'd get to kind of fuss and making too much noise. And, yeah. and we knew, you know, hey, better calm down, be quiet. Um, but sometimes, you know, Russ kind of had a way of doing things that, that just really, um, irritated me. And, and, you know, just kind of enticed me to, to anger or whatever. Frustration. How about that? Is a good word? You know, he would do things like, like breathe the same air that I breathe and stuff like that when we were kids. And they knew how to punch my buttons and get me like, oh, ah! And then he'd go hide behind mom and mom would be on the phone, you know, those phones with the cords and, you know, kind of get all wrapped up in there and I'm trying to tear through mom to get to him and then I, I'm, I'm out of control. See, I'm in trouble, right? They, they knew how to get me into bad trouble and stuff like that. Uh, so, but, but whenever we heard dad's closet open and the belt jingling in there, all of a sudden we were best friends. It's like, we're not fighting, are we, buddy? Are we? We we love each other, yeah. But anyway, but but so Jesus has that authority though, and he has that authority over the storm, and he quietens the storm. But I wonder this: I wonder how long did they struggle? How long did they row? How long did they bail before they went and woke up Jesus? It doesn't really tell us. But the idea is, by the time they woke him up, it was like we better wake him up. We're dying right now. Until they found out that they could not, are you with me? They could not handle it. They couldn't do it. Until finally, they had to let him know, we're all going to die. And so I wonder about that and about us sometimes. That, you know, we just keep bailing. And we keep bailing till finally we get to the point that we're begging. Or we just keep rowing. And we keep rowing when instead we could be sailing. Amen? Okay, so here's the point I'm wanting to make. All right, we'll wrap this up. Never let the presence of the storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Just because there's a storm, don't think God's forgotten you. Don't let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Okay? Call on him. Call on him. David did that. Look what he says in Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. Call upon the Lord. Call his name. Quit trying to do it yourself. Call on him. Why is it that when all of a sudden I've tried everything I know to do and all my strength and all my wisdom and it's only then that I call on the Lord? That's kind of sometimes the way we're wired. However, him letting you get to that point that you do have more than you can handle does you a big favor when it calls you, calls you to call on him. Can some of you think of times in your life that it got that way and God used that to do amazing things in drawing you to himself? Maybe that's the way it got when you got saved. God was convicting you and drawing you and you were running from him. And you had to get there before you finally called on him. And so sometimes the fact that God does let life and everything else give us more than we can handle, but not more than he can handle. See, we need to turn from the we to the he. It does us a big favor. It's God working in our lives. And I love being on the mountaintop. I love it. I'm a mountaintop kind of guy. I like to be excited. I like to celebrate. I like to hallelujah, praise God, all that. But I want to tell you what. The valleys have to come. You can't live on the mountaintop 
As we're traveling through life, we have to keep moving because to get to the next mountaintop, that means there's a valley in between, right? But I want to tell you something about me that see if you can admit this as well. I have actually experienced God more powerfully in my valleys than I ever have on my mountaintops. He's walked me through some valleys. Huh? David said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We always use that at funerals, but he's talking about his life. He says, I've been there, I've done this, and it's going to happen again. I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. I've been there, and it was dark in there, and it was scary in there, and he taught me in there, and he walked with me in there, and going through that valley, he taught me that shadows are nothing to be afraid of. And he brought me through that valley, and he prepared for me, even in the presence of my enemies, a feast in his table, and there was nothing they could do about it. But before he did that, I had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It was everywhere, but I trusted him. Amen? It's in that valley. See, here's the thing. I Now, I will fear no evil, right? Amen? But here's the thing. He says, I, I would rather be hurting in the presence of God with his goodness than on a mountaintop unaware fully of who he is and what he's doing. I don't know who needs this, but there may be somebody that's hurting right now. You need to know that you're not alone. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. Why would God allow you to experience more than you can handle? Maybe it's to teach you to depend on his presence and that he will never forsake you. He will never leave you in any way. There's one other thing before we close, and that is why? To teach us to depend on his presence, but also to teach us to experience his power. Too many of us are trying to live our Christian life in the power of our own strength. You're doing life on your own. You're doing it your way. You're doing you. You just do you. I'll do me. You do you. No. That's the problem. You're just doing your own thing. See, you were created to need God. You were created to be desperate for God. You weren't designed to be able to do all this in your own strength. That's why he graciously lets us get to the place so that we and maybe everyone else knows that our strength has run out. And it's after your power has run out and you know that you can't do it that you get to see what only God can do. That's when you finally get to see it. You finally get to see what only God can do. Because otherwise, all you get to see is what you can do because you're trying to do it all. But when we finally get to the end of ourself and we have no choice but trust Him and we realize it's more than I handle, than I can handle, I get to see what only God can do. And that's the problem with us as individuals and in our families and even in our church is that we only want to attempt what we know we can do. What we have the strength to do, what we have the ability to do, what we have the money to do, and all those things. But if we're sure something's of God, many times it's going to be things that we can't do. Jesus had a bad habit of walking around and telling people to do things that they couldn't do. He'd tell a guy whose legs were shriveled up and lame, get up. And not only just get up, but that mat, that nasty thing, roll that thing up and pick it up and let's get out of here. He asked the guy to do something that he had never been able to do and couldn't do. Huh? Now, we have responsibilities to respond by faith, right? Because I take it that the change didn't happen until the guy who couldn't get up started trying to get up because he trusted Jesus, not in his own strength. But it's whenever we do what he gives us to do uh, in obedience, but yet... 
when we get ourselves out of the way and realize we can't do it ourselves, that we get to see what only God. Maybe one reason why you don't really see God at work in your life and in your family and in this church sometimes is because we only attempt what we know we can do by ourselves with or without him. Okay? Paul used some teaching to talk about himself and how God used pain in his own life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he says that he'd had all these visions and these different experiences. And lest I be exalted above measure by abundance of the revelations, he says a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. And so God used it. Satan sent it, but God used it. Did you catch that? Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And God's answer was no, no. And finally, the Lord gave me the answer, my grace is enough. Amen? His grace is enough. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Because if you don't have weakness, you're going to think you've got strength. It's until you get your weakness and you realize all you've got is weakness that you're going to turn to my strength. That's what that means. My strength, he says, is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, I learned. Always learned. Therefore, I, he learned this. Therefore, most gladly will I rather boast in my infirmities. That's my weaknesses. Because I got weaknesses. Because when I realize all I got weaknesses and I can't do it, that's when you get to see a power of Christ coming on me. You can see what Jesus can do. He says in verse 10, therefore I take pleasure. I'm actually taking pleasure. I'm happy about my weaknesses or my infirmities and reproaches. That's when people are insulting you. In needs, when I don't have enough. In persecutions, in distress, before, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, that's when I get strong. Because I'm not operating in my strength. I'm operating in his. All right, so what are we going to take home today? All right, are you ready? Are you ready to go? You ready to be done? Ready to just get out of here? Hush it up, that's enough, I had all I can take. What are you going to take with you? That's my question. Are you ready to stop rowing and start sailing? Rowing in your own strength, you're getting nowhere. Put that sail up and let the Lord and his spirit, like the wind, carry you. Amen? You reach the end of your rope. You reach the end of your rope. You reach the end of a rope. Maybe the Lord lets you get to the end of your rope, so you let go of your rope. Take hold of His. Are you ready to admit that life is more than you can handle, but it's not more than He can handle? Keep bailing. We keep rowing. Maybe you need to call on the Master, huh? How long did it take them before they called on the master? He's the master of the sea. He's the master of the storm. And he can take care of me. So, yeah, sometimes the biggest favor that the Lord does is give us in life or allow more to be put on so we can handle so that we turn it over to him and let him handle it in us and through us, okay? All right, so sometimes you gotta let go. Sometimes you gotta let go. Sometimes you need to, yeah, you need to try, but there are times you need to stop trying and start trusting. Let's pray.